everyone knows about the original Macintosh. But who remembers the sequel? Yes, there was one. Released in March 1987, the Macintosh 2, Roman numerals, was a traditional PC in a whole lot of ways the original Mac wasn't. Instead of a cute, compact, and closed single box, it was an enormous slab of a computer that you could open up and stick expansion cards into. Here's John Syracuse. When you thought of Macs for the first several years of the Mac's life, the all-in-one that the original Macintosh defined, that's all it was. Like, that was the Mac. That little cute little thing looked like a little person, a little handle on top, the whole nine yards. And obviously the Mac 2 broke that mold. It's not going to be the Volkswagen Beetle anymore. It is not just literally this one car that we're just going to make forever. We are envisioning an entire line of computers fulfilling different needs, and we're going to have the flexibility to make Macs in all shapes and sizes. And Apple would continue to make Macs in all shapes and sizes. Here's Shelley Brisbane. The original Mac 2 was enormous, and not just compared to the compact Macs, but the Mac 2 was huge and had lots of empty space in it, but it was just a big box. But in so many ways, the Mac 2 was a quote-unquote real computer in a way the original Mac wasn't. You needed to attach an external monitor to it, for instance, and for the first time on the Mac, it could be a color monitor. Up to this point, every Mac had had a tiny 9-inch diagonal black-and-white screen. There was also the power. The Mac 2 was powered by a faster processor, the 68020, and its successor, the Mac 2X, by the even more powerful 68030. Even those who looked down on the original Mac as an underpowered toy computer could not deny the strength of the Mac 2. And, of course, it was easy to get inside, unlike those original compact Macs. Here's Andy Anatko. Not that this was a fresh idea for the time, but the idea of just popping off the top and there is your entire computer laid bare in front of you to do whatever you needed to do with it. That was absolutely wonderful. Now, when I say the Mac 2 was huge, I'm not kidding. It would fill your desk at 19 inches wide, 14 and a half inches deep and five and a half inches high and weighing in at 24 pounds. The thing was a boat anchor. And so in 1989, Apple shaved off seven inches of width and more than 10 pounds and released a much smaller Mac that still had some room for internal expansion and still supported external monitors. The sequels to the sequel. Those were the real stars. It's 20 Macs for 2020. I'm Jason Snell. This is number 13, the Mac 2CX and 2CI. I don't even know what you would call this. We didn't have all the different sizes in the PC world, you know, ATX and AT and XT towers, all that stuff. We didn't have words like that to define Macs because Apple made whatever the hell they wanted. But this form factor of a desktop computer that your monitor sat on top of, it laid flat on your desk and the monitor sat on top of it, but it was also trying to be small. It was also trying to pull in its edges to not dominate your desk was another great moment in time before, essentially, that type of desktop computer fell out of fashion entirely. But after Apple had realized not everyone wants this huge thing on their desk all the time. And then when the 2CX and the 2CI came out, they're smaller, they're less expensive in relative terms, they have faster processors. I mean, what's not to love? I think that the 2CI is on the list of perfect machines that Apple made, where they got everything right. You, you're not going to buy a Mac 2 unless you really fancy yourself a superpower user, partly because of the expense, but partly because of the suitcase-like size of it. It, it really is like Apple did uh, transform the Mac 2 the way that they 
transformed the Lisa into the original Macintosh. Here's Adam C. Angst. They were so great. So you could put stuff in them. They were easy to work with. The performance was great. They were just those computers that seemed to hit on all counts. The 2CX and the 2CI really didn't have compromises. They were just really good, solid computers. And talk about easy to get into. I mean, they weren't as elegant and hinged as the later blue and whites were, but you could just physically lift the top off and put memory or cards inside and change the processors. And they were just, you know, perfect. I mean, there were little beige boxes, but there were beige desktop boxes that you could put an external monitor on top of. And unlike the gigantic Mac 2s, which you would not be wise to stand upright like the monolith from 2001, A Space Odyssey, the 2CX and 2CI were designed to either work as a stand beneath a monitor or up on their sides. It could be flat as a monitor stand. You could, it could be upright like a mini tower. And they were the right size for the monitor. That's the other thing that people don't quite realize is that monitors weren't that big back then. So it was a good mix. Now, I realize that so far in this episode, I've been throwing a lot of late 80s and early 90s computer model name action at you. Okay, the Macintosh 2 makes sense as a name. But what does 2X mean? How does it relate to the 2CX? And what happened to the X in the 2CI? Now, apparently, the X was added to the name of the Mac 2 when Apple upgraded to the 68030 processor. The C was added to the CX because not only did it have a 68030 inside, but it was a new compact design. And as for the I and 2CI, I don't know. If you're thinking this whole thing is a mess, don't worry. John Gruber feels the same way. How about this? Uh, the 2CI, 2CX, since you've lumped them together as... Uh, exemplification of Apple's crappy product names of the era. Mm -hmm. Because doesn't the 2CX sound like the sequel and the 2CI sound like the original, but it's the other way around. X comes after I, and as we've all learned, and in many of the products in Apple's history show you, X is the coolest letter of the alphabet. So why would the first one be the CX? On the other hand, and I can just imagine, there's somebody out there listening to this, and they're from the 90s Apple product marketing team, and they had a hand in these names. And I know what they want to say is, but, 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 if they had just called them all Mac 2s, the way that Apple today just calls everything iPad, we wouldn't be able to remember these products so specifically and talk about them, right? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe so. We wouldn't have as strong a feeling as of the Mac 2CX versus 2CI if it was just all the Mac 2 1990 versus 1989. Right. Right. It's as if you don't have fond memories of the 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro 2 Thunderbolt 3 ports 2017. <laughs> that was a classic. Yeah. <laughs> Who could forget? The Mac 2CX and 2CI were light gray plastic boxes, but they had more personality than you could possibly expect from a device with such a dull shape. And that was due in part to something called Snow White, which was the design language Apple used in all of its products in the mid to late 80s, starting with the Apple IIc, created by the prestigious industrial design studio Frog Design. The Snow White design language, even though people refer to them as beige, I always think of beige as having more yellow. They're platinum is what Apple would call them. Sort of a cool gray, and it's it set off the color Apple logo on it really, really well. It was defined by this platinum plastic. 
and these thin accent lines and thin slits for air. Very kind of Ferrari Testarossa. <laughs> I think a beautiful design language that, that Apple used to great effect for many, many years. And the 2CI and 2CX may be the pinnacle of that design in headless desktop computers. If you want to separate modern and old Apple, I think the two best Macs Apple made in that old era were the SE30 and the 2CI. I think it's fascinating that the 2CX and 2CI were apparently designed in-house by Apple based on the Snow White design scheme, but not quite the same. It represents a moment when Apple decided to break away from frog design and design its own computers in-house. That design language is clever in that it seems simple. Oh, so it's lines. Are you saying it's lines? I'm like, yeah, it's lines, but it's not just like take a piece of plastic and cut a big line in it. There was levels to it. If you flipped it over, you'd see the lines were cut in, but then the lines didn't go straight through. There was a piece of plastic underneath each line. So if you were to try to put a string through it, you'd have to go in and then to the side and then around, right? Same thing with the slats in the front. Having, again, much like a car, having the accent lines line up with the floppy drive, right? It's kind of like having the, the, the character line on your car go directly through the door handles, right? Or intersect the wheel arches. It's, it seems simple. You're like, oh, what a boring design. They just made a box and put pinstripes on it. But it's not. Like, doing that well is very difficult. If you look at, for example, some of the latter-day computers that are trying to follow this design but were not made by designers who were as good. This is not to say that Apple's breakaway from frog design paid off. The 2CX and the 2CI feel like the end of an era of distinctive and classic Mac designs. We wouldn't see any more of their like for quite some time. The difference between the 2CI and like one of the terrible Performa models that ostensibly uses the same design line, it is night and day. The 2CI is a work of art. Some of those other computers were just misshapen mongrels that were also made of platinum plastic and had accents lines, but not the same. I think it was clear that both Frog Design and the press that covered Apple felt like the company lost its way in the early 90s in terms of design. It got so bad that the September 1996 issue of Macworld featured a cover story in which the editors seemed to declare that they could do a better job of designing new Mac desktops and laptops than Apple could. They even hired Frog Design to take their ideas and create models of these new Macs. Macworld has created blueprints for two totally new Macs, one desktop named Enterprise and one notebook named Galileo, to help Apple again take the lead in the computer industry. These innovative systems, which Apple could develop in time for release at the August 1997 Macworld Expo if it chose to, resurrect the wonder and excitement of the past best Macs, providing a model platform for the next decade. With these designs, the Mac is reborn. Now, Apple's designs at this time were uninspired. These Macworld designs, on the other hand, look... I worked for the competition when this story came out, and I thought it was one of the worst things Macworld did in its entire existence. Let's leave aside the presumptuousness of a bunch of magazine editors deciding they could do Apple's job better than it could. The designs they came up with are hilariously ugly, although I will give them credit for suggesting that the Power Mac have a drop-down access door, a feature that Apple introduced in the blue and white Power Mac G3. I don't know what Frog Design's excuse is. Maybe they just didn't even bother putting their best designers on something that was going to be a collection of silly concepts for a magazine article. <sighs> 24 years later, that story still makes me so angry. Anyway, where was I? Right, right. The Mac 2CI. 
Apple sold it for years and years. They just kept selling it and lowering the price over the years because it was still like a totally credible, totally useful design, which is actually a strategy that Apple uses now all the time. It was always a good value at whatever price Apple was offering it. But that really stands out. Apple didn't do that with Macs at the time. Computer companies didn't really do that. Like everything was like you buy it and then a year later it was gone and just replaced. And most of these computers in your list, they weren't for sale for years at a time. Basically, 90 some percent of the discussion you're having with people is going to be subjective opinions on stuff. I think objectively, the length of time the 2CI was for sale is proof that it was one of the best Macs of all time. You can't argue with that. Now, I have to admit, placing the 2CX and 2CI on this list is not just a function of its place in Apple history, but its place in my personal history. In the fall of 1989, I started working at my college newspaper, the UCSD Guardian. My fast fingers got me a job as a typist. I took stories people wrote on their typewriters or printed from their PCs and re-entered them into Microsoft Word on a Mac. My interview for the job as an associate news editor was the day of the Loma Prieta earthquake. Anyway, I got the job. We had a half dozen Mac SEs with full-page external monitors that we used to lay out the paper. They were slow, and unless you were zoomed in all the way, you couldn't even read the text on your articles. It was just lines of grayed-out rectangles, all in order to speed up the graphics. Every time you moved anything, you had to wait a few seconds for everything to slowly redraw. But there was one other Mac in the office. It was the one everyone coveted. It was a Mac 2CX with a huge two-page display. You could read the text without zooming in incredibly far. It was buttery fast. I fell in love with the Mac that year, and the Mac that ruled them all was that 2CX. A few years later, I was working at Mac User, and the company was selling off excess equipment to employees at dramatic discounts. Since I had switched to a PowerBook at this point, my parents had been using my old Mac SE to do the books for their business, all in a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet that I had set up for them. It's literally the only thing my father ever did on a computer in his entire life, that spreadsheet. But something had gone wrong with their SE. It was spontaneously rebooting at random intervals, which is really bad if you haven't saved your spreadsheet. And sitting there on the conference room table at the Mac user computer sale, was a Mac 2CI, that same adorable little boxy computer I had fallen in love with in 1989, more or less. I spent some ridiculous amount of money on it and a color monitor that sat on top of it, maybe 50 bucks. It was ridiculously cheap, but we were moving offices and they didn't need the equipment anymore. I took that computer, drove it up to my hometown, and I set it up for my parents. And until they retired, it served them well as a word processor for my mother and that single Microsoft Excel spreadsheet for my father. So yes, the Mac 2CX and the Mac 2CI were notable. They were fast, they were well-designed, and the 2CI proved to be surprisingly long-lived. But they also meant a lot to me. Hey, it's my list. Morning Max for 2020 was written by me, Jason Snell. Thanks to John Syracuse, Shelley Brisbane, Andy Anaiko, Adam Engst, and John Gruber. Quinn Rose was the voice of Macworld. Brian Hamilton provided post-production assistance. I'll be back next week with number 12.